Chapter 14 of the French Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The French Revolution by Robert Matheson Johnson. Chapter 14. Thermidor. Denton had fallen fast in popularity and influence since the moment when, after the fall of the Gironde, he had appeared to dominate the situation. On the 12th of October, weary, sick at heart, disgusted at the triumph of the Hébertists, he had left Paris, and apparently retiring from politics, had gone back to his little country town of arcis sur ayub There, a month later, Robespierre sought him out and invited him to joint action for pulling down Hébert. With Robespierre, this meant no more than that Danton could help him, not that he would ever help Danton, and doubtless the latter realized it. But the bold course always drew him, and he accepted. Danton returned to Paris on the 21st of November. Robespierre had been moved to this step by an alarming development of the Hébertism. Anti-clericalism, hatred of the priest, and among other things, the priest stood behind the Vendine. Voltarianism, materialism, all these elements had come to a head, and the clique who worked the commune had determined that the triumph of the revolution demanded the downfall of Catholicism, which was, as it seemed, equivalent to religion. A wave of atheism swept through Paris. To be atheistic became the mark of a good citizen. Goebel, the archbishop, and many priests accepted it and renounced the church. Then a further step was taken. On the 10th of November, the Cathedral of Notre Dame was dedicated to reason, a handsome young woman from the opera personifying the goddess. Two weeks later, just as Danton reached Paris, the commune closed all the churches of the city for the purpose of dedicating them to the cult of reason. Robespierre, like most of the men of the Revolution, was an enemy of the church, but he was not an atheist. On the contrary, he accepted in a very literal, dogmatic and zealous way the doctrines of rousseau his prophet not only in politics but in religion to robespierre the hebertist cult of reason was as gross blasphemy as it was to the most ardent catholic and the jacobin leader had nerved himself for a struggle to destroy that cult that was why he had appealed to danton though he knew that if danton joined him in the fight it would not be for conscience for religious motive but solely to destroy Hébert and perhaps to regain control of the Committee of Public Safety. This last possibility Robespierre risked. The two allies immediately opened their campaign against Hébert. In the convention, Danton, with rather hollow rhetoric, declaimed in favor of popular festivals at which incense should be offered to the Supreme Being. Robespierre, at the Jacobins, allowing his venom to master his logic, declared, Atheism is aristocratic. The idea of a supreme being who guards injured innocence and who punishes triumphant crime is democratic. If God did not exist, we should have to invent him. It was just at this moment when Hébertism and terrorism appeared interchangeable terms, and when the two most powerful men of the assembly had simultaneously turned against Hébertism, that de Moulin stepped forward as the champion of the cause of mercy, to pull down Hébert, and with Hébert the guillotine. Early in December, he brought out a newspaper once more, Le Vieux Cordillerais, and in that boldly attacked the gang of thieves and murderers who were working the politics of the city of Paris. Public opinion awakened, 
voices were raised here and there presently petitions began to flow into the convention the tide was unloosened how far would it go robespierre crafty cunning shifty at first cautiously used de moline for his purposes but when danton himself the arch terrorist bravely accepted the doctrine of clemency robespierre began to draw back at the end of december the return of collot de herbois from his massacres at lyons stiffened robespierre and rallied the committee of public safety more firmly to the policy of terror for some weeks a desperate campaign of words was fought out inch by inch danton and de moulin lashing out desperately as the net closed slowly in on them and it was not until the twentieth of february seventeen ninety four that they received the death stroke it was dealt by saint just saint just a doctrinaire and puritan nearly as fanatical as his chief possessed what robespierre lacked decision boldness and a keen political sense on his return from a mission to the armies he had found in paris the situation already described and incited immediately to strike hard at once and at all the opponents of his party the first measures were aimed at hebert and the commune for saint oust judged that they were ripe for the guillotine a decree was pushed through the convention whereby it was ordered that the property of all individuals sent to the scaffold under the loi des suspects should be distributed to the poor sans culasse this infamous enactment was intended to cut from under the feet of the commune any popular support it still retained at saint just's provocation the attacked party closed its ranks the commune the ministers the cordeliers hebert henriot proclamations were issued for a new insurrection but paris was getting weary of insurrections wearier still of the obvious black guardism and peculation of the hebertists weariest of the perpetual drip of blood from the guillotine no insurrection could be organized for some days the opponents remained at arm's length finally on the seventeenth of march the committee of public safety ordered the arrest of hebert pache chaumette and a number of their prominent supporters and was almost surprised to find that the arrest was carried out with virtually no opposition paris raised not a finger to defend them and contentedly watched them go to the guillotine a week later it was otherwise with Danton. St. Eust gave him no time. With the committee and the convention well in hand, he struck at once, less than a week after Hebert had been despatched. He read a long accusation against Danton to the convention, and that body weakly voted his arrest. Danton de Moulin and some of their chief supporters were hurried to prison, and from prison to the Revolutionary Tribunal. On the second, third, and fourth day of April, they were tried by the packed bench and packed jury of that expeditious institution. But so uncertain was the temper of the vast throng that filled the streets outside, so violently did Denton struggle to burst his bonds, that for a moment it seemed as though the immense reverberations of his voice, heard, it is said, even across the Seine, might awaken the force of the people, as so often before, and overthrow the Jacobin rule a hasty message to the committee of public safety a hasty decree rushed through the convention and danton's voice was quelled judgment delivered before the accused had finished his defence on the next day danton and de moline went to the guillotine together paris very hushed at the immensity and suddenness of the catastrophe de moline was gone the leader of the revolt against the monarchy in seventeen eighty nine the generous defender of the cause of mercy in seventeen ninety four and danton was gone with all his sins with all his venality the most powerful figure of the revolution 
more nearly the revolution itself than any man of his time. Complete triumph. As Robespierre, Saint Just, and Couthon looked about them, the three apostles leading France down the narrow path of civic virtue, they saw nothing but prostrate enemies. The power of the commune was gone, and in its stead the Committee of Public Safety virtually ruled Paris. Danton, the possible dictator, the impure man ready to adjust compromises with the enemies of liberty, lacks in conscience and in action. Danton, too, was down. The solid phalanx of the Jacobin Club, the remnant of the Commune, the Revolutionary Tribunal, stood solidly arrayed behind Robespierre, and the Convention voted with perfect regularity and unanimity every decree it was asked for. But this attitude of the Convention only represented the momentary paralysis of fear. No one would venture on debate, leave alone opposition. Men like Saez attended punctiliously day after day, month after month, and never opened their lips, only their eyes watching the corner of the mountain whence the reeking oracle was delivered. In the city it was the same. The cafés, so tumultuous and excited at the opening of the revolution, are oppressively silent now. A crowd gathers in the evening to hear the Gazette read, but in that crowd few dare to venture a word and opinion. Occasional whispers are exchanged, the list of those sent to the guillotine is eagerly listened to, and then all disperse. And the prisons are full, of aristocrats, of suspects, of wealthy bourgeois, those who have money occasionally buy themselves out, and generally succeed in living well. While outside the prison doors, angry, half-demented women revile the aristocrats who betray the people, and who, even in prison, eat delicate food and drink expensive wines. Among the prisoners there is some light-heartedness, much demoralization, with here and there, at rare intervals, a Madame Roland or an André Chenet, to keep high above degradation their minds and their characters. And every day comes the heartrending hour of the roll call for the Revolutionary Tribunal, with which so many means death. The tribunal itself loses more and more any sense of legality it had at the outset. Its procedure still carries a semblance of legal method, but it is really an automatic machine for affixing a legal label on political murders. And the tribunal, as it progresses in its career, becomes more and more insane in its hatred of the party it seeks to destroy, of the anti-revolutionist, of the aristocrat. It is not recorded that it ordered the arrest of a little girl of thirteen, Mademoiselle de Chabans, suspect because she had sucked the aristocratic milk of her mother. The tribunal acquitted one person in every five. Up to the fall of Danton, it had sent about one thousand persons to the guillotine. During the three months of Robespierre's domination, it was to send another 1,600, increasing its activity by hysterical progression. When Thermidor was reached, about 30 individuals was the daily toll of the executioner. Robespierre, triumphant, immediately revealed all his limitations. He was not a successful statesman. He was only a successful religionist. His first care, therefore, was to attend to the dogma of the French people. He proposed that Ducati should be converted into a new Sabbath. He caused the dregs of the Ebertists, including Goebel, to be indicted for atheism when their turn came for the Revolutionary Tribunal. Robespierre, sending a renegade archbishop of Paris to the scaffold for atheism, marks how very far the revolution had moved since the days of the States General at Versailles. On the 7th of May, a month after Danton's death, Robespierre delivered a long speech before the convention, a speech that marks his epigee. It was a high-flown rhapsody on civic morality and purism. 
Voltaire and the encyclopedists were bitterly attacked, Jean-Jacques Rousseau was deified. The state should adopt his religious attitude, his universal church of nature. In that church, nature herself is the chief priest, and there is no need of an infamous priesthood. Its ritual is virtue, its festivals the joy of a great people. Therefore, let the convention decree that the cult of the supreme being be established, that the duty of every citizen is to practice virtue, to punish tyrants and traitors, to succor the unfortunate, to respect the weak, to defend the oppressed, to do good unto others. Let the convention institute competitions for hymns and songs to adorn the new cult, and let the Committee of Public Safety, that harassed and overburdened committee, adjudicate and reward the successful hymnologists. The convention listened in silence, disgust, silent rebellion, but bowed its head. The new cult appealed to very few. Here and there, an intellectual Rousseauist accepted it, but the mass did what mankind in all countries and ages has done, refused to reason out what was a religious and therefore an emotional question. To the vast majority of Frenchmen, there was only one choice, Catholicism or non-Catholicism, and the cult of the supreme being was just as much non-Catholicism as that of reason. Robespierre, blind and satisfied, went on his way rejoicing. On the 8th of June, as president of the convention, he took the chief part in a solemn inauguration of the new religion. There were statues, processions, bonfires, speeches, and Robespierre, beflowered, radiant in a new purple coat, pontificating over all. But beneath the surface, all was not well. The convention had not been led through the solemn farce without protest. Words of insult were hissed by more than one deputy as Robespierre passed within earshot, and the Jacobin leader realized fully that behind the docile votes and silent faces, currents of rage and protest were stirring. For this, as for every ill, there was but one remedy, to sharpen the knife. Two days later, on the 10th, new decrees were placed before the convention for intensifying the operations of the Revolutionary Tribunal. New crimes were invented, spreading discouragement, perverting public opinion. The prisoner's defense was practically taken away from him, and most important, members of the convention lost their inviolability. The convention voted the decree, but terror had now pushed it to the wall and self-defense automatically sprang up. From that moment, the convention nerved itself to the inevitable struggle. Biod, Caillot, and Barre, the impures of the Committee of Public Safety, looked despairingly on all sides of the convention for help to rid themselves of the monster, whose tentacles they already felt beginning to twine about them. Just at this critical moment, a trivial incident arose that pierced Robespierre's armor in its weakest joint, and that crystallized the fear of the convention into ridicule, ridicule that proved the precursor of revolt. Catherine Teode, a female spiritualist, or medium as we should call her at the present day, highly elated at the triumph of the supreme being over the unemotional goddess of reason, had made Robespierre the hero of her half-insane inspirations. She now announced to her credulous devotees that she was the mother of God and that Robespierre was her son. It became the sensation of the day. Profiting by the temporary absence of saints used with the army in the Netherlands, the Committee of Public Safety decided that Catherine Teot was a nuisance and a public danger and must be arrested. Robespierre, intensely susceptible to ridicule, not knowing what to do, pettishly withdrew from the convention, confined himself to his house and the Jacobin Club, and left the committee to carry out its intention. 
every member of the convention realized that this was a distinct move against Robespierre. St. Eust was with Jordan's army in the north, and for the moment all eyes were fixed on that point. The campaign of 1794 might be decisive. France and Austria had put great armies in the field. The latter now controlled the belt of frontier fortresses, and, if pushing beyond these, she destroyed the French army, Paris and the revolution might soon be at an end. As the campaign opened, however, fortune took her place with the tricolor flag. Minor successes fell to Moreau, Soham, Macdonald, Van Damme. In June, the campaign culminated. The armies met south of Brussels at Fleurus on the 25th of that month. For 15 hours, the battle raged, Kleber with the French right wing holding his ground, the center and left slowly driven back. But at the close of the day, the French, not to be denied, came again. Jourdan, with Saint-Just by his side, drove his troops to a last effort, regained the lost ground, and more. The Austrians gave way, turned to flight, and one of the great victories of the epoch had been won. In a few hours, the glorious news had reached Paris, and in Paris it was interpreted as an evil portent for Robespierre. For if there existed something that could possibly be described as a justification for terrorism, that something was national danger and national fear. Ever since the month of July, 1789, there had been a perfect correspondence between military pressure on Paris and the consequent outbreak of violence. But this great victory, Fleurius, seemed to mark the complete triumph of the armies of the Republic. All danger had been swept away, so why should terror and the guillotine continue? As the captured Austrian standards were paraded in the Tuileries gardens and presented to the convention on a lovely June afternoon, every inclination, every instinct was for rejoicing and goodwill. The thought that the cart was steadily, lugubriously wending its way to the insatiable guillotine appeared unbearable. From this moment, the fever of conspiracy against Robespierre coursed rapidly through the convention. Some, like Siez, were statesmen and judged that the turn of the tide had come. Others, like Tallien or Joseph Chenet, were touched in their family, a brother, a wife, a sister, awaiting judgment and the guillotine. Others feared, others hoped, and yet others had vengeance to satisfy, especially the remnants of Danton's, of Brissot's, and of Hébert's party. Saint-Just saw the danger of the situation and attempted to cow opposition. He spoke threateningly of the necessity for a dictatorship and for a long list of proscriptions. It was the most silent member of the Committee of Public Safety, Carnot, who brought on the crisis, affecting an exclusive concern for the conduct of the war and perfunctorily signing that all related to internal affairs. He was secretly restive and anxious to escape from the horrible situation. Prompted by some of his colleagues, he ordered on the 24th of July that the Paris National Guard artillery should go to the front. This was taking the decisive arms out of the hands of Henriot, for Henriot had made his peace with Robespierre, had survived the fall of Hébert, and was still in command of the National Guard. There could be no mistaking the significance of Carnot's step. On the same night, Calthon loudly denounced it at the Jacobins, and the club decided that it would petition the convention to take action against Robespierre's enemies. The next day, Barrère replied. He read a long speech to the convention in which, without venturing names, he blamed citizens who were not heartened by the victories of the army and who meditated further prescriptions. On the 26th, 
the eighth of thermidor robespierre reappeared in the assembly and ascended the tribune to reply to barrere robespierre felt that the tide was flowing against him instinct premonitions warned him that perhaps his end was not far off in this speech it was to be his last before the convention the melancholy note prevailed there was no effort to conciliate no attempt at being politic only a slightly disheartened tone backed by the iteration which france already knew so well the remedy for the evil must be sought in purification the convention the committee of public safety must be purged under the accustomed spell the convention listened to the end the usual motions were put robespierre left the assembly it was voted that his speech should be printed and that it should be posted in all the communes of france for a moment it looked as though the iron yoke were immovably fixed then cambon went to the tribune and ventured to discuss robespierre's views biard followed and presently the convention hardly realizing what it had done rescinded the second of its two votes robespierre's speech should be printed but it should not be placarded on the walls at the jacobin club the rescinded vote of the convention conveyed a meaning not to be mistaken robespierre repeated his convention speech which was greeted with acclamations biard and collot were received with hoots and groans were driven out and were erased from the list of members through the night the jacobins were beating up their supporters threatening insurrection and on their side the leaders of the revolt attempted to rally the members of the convention to stand firmly by them the next day was the ninth of thermidor st just made a bold attempt to control the situation early in the morning he met his colleagues of the committee of public safety and making advances to them promised to lay before them a scheme that would reconcile all the divergent interests of the convention while the committee awaited his arrival he proceeded to the body of the convention obtained the tribune and began a speech realizing how far the temper of the assembly was against him he boldly opened by denouncing the personal ambitions of robespierre and by advocating moderate courses but he had not gone far when the members of the committee discovering the truth returned to the convention and set to work with the help of the revolted members to disconcert him saint just had perhaps only one weakness but it was fatal to him on the ninth of thermidor for it was a weakness of voice he was silenced by interruptions that constantly grew stormier biard followed him and made an impassioned attack on the jacobins robespierre attempted to reply but collot d'herbois was presiding and collot declined to give robespierre the tribune the dinner rose shouts of down with the tyrant down with the dictator were raised tallien demanded a decree of accusation members pressed around the jacobin leader who at this last extremity tried to force his way to the tribune but the way was barred he could only clutch the railings and asking for death looking into despair at the public galleries that had so long shouted their jacobin approval to him he kept crying la mort la mort he had fallen the whole convention was roaring when Coyot, from the presidential chair announced the vote whereby robespierre saint just cauthon henriot and several others were ordered under arrest henriot at this crisis again displayed his qualities of action while the members of the convention were wasting time in talk and self-congratulation he was getting his forces together he succeeded in freeing the accused deputies from their place of temporary arrest and by the evening all were gathered together at the hotel de ville the jacobins declared for robespierre the party made determined efforts through the evening to raise insurrection 
but only small bodies of National Guards could be kept together at the Hotel de Ville, and these began to dwindle away rapidly late in the evening when heavy rain fell. Meanwhile, the convention had met again in evening session. It appointed one of its own members, Barras, to command all the military forces that could be mustered, and then voted the escaped deputies outlaws for having broken arrest. The western districts of the city rallied to the convention. Barras showed energy and courage. Information reached him of the state of affairs at the Hotel de Ville, and at one o'clock in the morning of the 29th, he rallied several sectional battalions and marched quickly against the Robespierreists. At the Hotel de Ville, there was little resistance. It was raining hard, and few remained with the Jacobin leaders. There was a short scuffle, in which Robespierre apparently attempted to kill himself and lodged a bullet in his jaw. The arrests were carried out, and a few hours later, no trial being necessary for outlaws, Robespierre, Saint-Just, Henriot, Calthon, and about twenty more were driven through the streets to the guillotine. End of chapter 14